Welcome to the family on the Tom Bernard Podcast with Fun Rasmussen, Alex Brant Bernard Rasmussen, co-host Catherine Brandt, and Andy Brant Bernard. You know, fun, you could never tell you're 42 years old. You it's sound much younger. Shocking. Don't you think? Well, well now she can't she's, hear me. That's right. Now yeah. she can't hear you. She can't hear me. She should put her headphones on. She's, she's listening to something. Anyway, we'll be right back. Neil Story, our uh, special guest. Neil R. Story is an award-winning social historian specializing in the study of the impact of war on British society in the first half of the 20th century. This ought to be fascinating. Dracula the Ripper, the 125th anniversary of Dracula with Neil Story. It's all up next with the family. Michael Bryant, Brad Sean Bryant, what's the latest? Uh, we're just trying to represent people who have been injured through no fault of their own. We're trying to talk to them before they talk to an adjuster or before they take a settlement that isn't something they should get based upon their injuries. How many people are out there in different, not in the law business, that love to run around scaring people before you even get to them? Well, adjusters will want to settle cases right. and they want to close files. So based upon that, they do what they have to. Um, I think there's a lot of circumstances where they probably act as attorneys where they're not attorneys and they try yeah. to explain people's rights or they give them a certain view that if they look at it. And what I always say is this, if the adjuster really truly thinks the offer they made makes sense, they'd have them come see us. You know, And that's exactly my my question is, you have to understand who has the best, your best interest in mind, correct? Well, you want to know what your rights are. You know, whether yep. or not you decide yep. you're going to hire us or not, that's a choice. It's a free consultation, and you want to understand what your, all your rights are and what coverages you have. And plus the fact, I hang out with you, so you got to be a good guy <laughs> if I'm hanging out with you. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> uh, okay. Ladies and gentlemen, Michael Bryant, Bradshaw, and Bryant. Tommy, do you guys read a lot of poetry on the queue? You mean like, there once was a man from Nantucket? No, more like T.S. Eliot. April is the cruelest month, breeding lilacs out of the dead land, mixing memory and desire, stirring dull roots with spring rain. Dougie, what's wrong? You a little sad? No, other than the weather, nothing's wrong. In fact, in the Walzer world, Coon Rapids and Burnsville finished number one and two in the state of Minnesota. J.Lo finally beat Dan Resch. Wow, that's pretty cool. Is it okay if I take all the credit? Well, I'd expect nothing less. Actually, we've got great inventory of some great vehicles, and these short-term leases are perfect for people who can't get the brands that they want. You told me about those. You can drive a new Nissan for as little as 18 months, and by then the chips will be aplenty. That's it exactly. We hope by then you'll be a Walzer Nissan convert. For great deals from the Minnesota sales leaders, go to Burnsville or Coon Rapids Nissan. Hey, this Brian's up. Summer is finally here, and if you're like me, you've got some serious riding planned. Make sure you and your motorcycle are good to go with Dennis Kirk. Whatever you ride, Harley, Indian, metric cruiser, or sport bike, you'll find what you need at Dennis Kirk. 160,000 parts and accessories in stock, clothing and helmets too. Order before 8 p.m., and they ship the same day. Plus, shipping is free for orders over 89 bucks. Follow Zepp's lead and head to DennisKirk.com. They ship today. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. Let me know when this story is ready to go. He is. Neil R. Story. Neil, how are you? Hello there. Good to meet you, Tom. Nice to meet you as well. We got a lot of uh, a lot of ground to cover. We got Dracula the Ripper, the 125th anniversary of Dracula with Neil Story. We got, uh, you know, British society, the first half of the 20th century, the impact of war on them. Where do you want to start, Neil? We got a lot to cover. What I'd like to start with is, is really the 125th anniversary 
of the publication of Dracula. Ooh, it's, uh, I, and I think it's probably best to stick with that because it is such a fascinating subject. Yeah, you're right. Uh, are you aware that there has always been this hope and a belief and even a fear that maybe Dracula and Jack the Ripper have a certain synergy between the two? Ooh, I like it. Yeah, it's something different. I mean, if you think about the Universal Monsters, Dracula or Christopher Lee in the Hammer film Dracula. Right. These are guys, they've got the long cape, they're they're often wearing evening dress. Uh, And you you kind of think of that vision and you add a top hat to that figure. (laughs) Yeah. And you kind of think, is it Drac or is it... Jack the Ripper. Mm-hmm. I like Drac or Jack. That's a good title right there. It'd be a good sitcom. Drac and Jack. Drac and Jack. Great sitcom. <laughs> that would be wonderful. But it's seductive, isn't it? It's a seductive oh, yeah. thought. And what my very first book on Bram Stoker looked at were the connections between the two. Uh, it took me oh, the best part of 15 years to get access to this most remarkable archive of letters and papers and documents. If I put it into a little bit of context, Bram Stoker, he's born in Ireland in 1847. He was a, uh, he was a reporter, really. He, he'd gone to university. Uh, he, he loved theatre. And he got a job as a theatre critic for one of the newspapers, unpaid. But it was because he, his main job was as a civil servant. And he didn't earn an awful lot of money. But because as a theatre critic, he can get to see the shows for free in Dublin. So, And he would write up these articles and it introduced him to that wonderful world of theatre. And he met an, an actor by the name of Henry Irving. And he, mm. Henry Irving went on to be the first actor, British actor, in fact, any actor anywhere in the world, to be knighted by Her Majesty Queen Victoria. Really? Oh, hell yeah, he, he was the man. I mean, he, he, he made... Uh, theatre respectable. Before that, it was a scene of ragtag vagabonds and ladies of dubious morals. They, they, weren't, they weren't all like that, but that's the that was the perception in society at that time. Mm-hmm. So Irving gets a really good name. He's getting great reviews. Bram gives him one of his first major re- really good reviews, seeing the skill of this man. So when Irving gets to take over his first theatre... And the only theatre he ever had was the Lyceum Theatre oh, in London. Sure. Yep. You, you know, it's a big one. It's in the West End. It's just off the Strand. It's still going today. It's got a rolling performance of The Lion King. Yeah. Yeah, it's not quite the same as a dragon. <laughs> no, not, not quite. Uh, not, you're absolutely right about that. You know, Neil, what amazes me and fascinates me about these stories is you look at it, you know, decade after decade or century after century. There's always a connection. Like right now, our politicians and our news media is sucking the blood out of every living American. I mean, honest to God, they're just wearing us to the out to the bone. So this has always been around. It's always been prevalent, hasn't it? The way that some characters just suck the blood out of everybody else, takes all their energy, not literally, of course, but figuratively, sucking the life right out of people. Well, in, in, in many ways, and I, I would like to add, first of all, hands across the sea. No, no matter what the yeah. media may like to say, there is an awful lot of love and affection 
for the people of America from the people of Great Britain. See, there and you I go. I want to extend that. It doesn't matter on media. This is brothers and sisters across the sea, no matter what your colour, what your background, whatever floats your boat. There's a lot of love and respect. And never forget that, friends in America. Okay. Never forget that. But, Neil, I can't tell you one thing, then, because my family did move from England to America, but Barnard is a Scottish name, so I could be in trouble. Hey. <laughs> Weren't you ejected? Your people were ejected. <laughs> yeah, my, we were kicked out. It's true. I think they were hunting it's a, it's on the king's land. It's a PR spin. <laughs> they, they were rebels. They fought for the Jacobite cause. So we could be the top terrorists anyway. So, hey, uh, that was in the 18th century. So I think we've moved on a bit since then. Well, Neil, I will tell you this, and I talk about it all the time. I do a morning show in town as well, and I talk about it all the time, that the entire family has been to England, Scotland, Ireland, Wales. I mean, you go down the list. of. We loved every every moment of it, every bit of it. So we feel the same way about the people of Western Europe, particularly of England, Scotland, Ireland, because we spent most of the time there. Italy, northern Italy was wonderful. We have the same feeling. I wish these people would stop chirping about how nobody likes anybody else. And it's just because it's, it's a flat-out lie. It is. It, you're absolutely right. And, and if we look at our DNA, our patchwork is all pretty similar. You know, if, if, you are from, if, if you're a white person from that background, we're going to be similar. But do you know what? There have been people of all colours in Great Britain. I mean, this empire. Now, there's a lot of bad things about empire, but one thing it did do, it brought races together. Mm-hmm. And in the long yeah. run, that's the powerful message that we all now... <coughs> empire gone but people now standing shoulder to shoulder hopefully move on move on do good things respect and love each other that's what it's about god we need more people like you neil talking about this very thing i try to do it on on this show and on the morning show as well try to say hey look i wake up every morning got a great wife uh, she's on this show our son is on the show our daughter's on this show and then there's some other stiff i don't know who where this dave guy came from he's not even related what what Where'd you come from? Well, the test results are in, and Tom, you are the father. Oh, you are the father of Dave, who's... <laughs> yeah, that's right, you're younger than I am, so that's cool. Neil Story, this is uh, Dave Schrader. He joins us every Wednesday as well. Neil who? I've never heard of the man. Neil Story. <laughs> oh, God, you don't know one another. Oh, no, that's no, all I need. It's no, Neil Story, no, never, the Dracula King. Heard of him. Yeah, the Dracula King, that's exactly right. And with, do, do you agree with that statement that, that right now our politicians and... Our media is sucking the blood out of Americans. They're yes. taking all of our energy. Dracula come to life. Yeah, I, I mean, serious. And I don't, Neil, I, I don't know if the same thing's happened in Europe, but it sure appears to be at least once in a while. Well, my friends, we, we've just got to keep the faith that the, you know, the average Joe in the street uh, really doesn't want to get involved in all of those awful politics and, and, and putting other races and people down. Exactly. We just want to get on with our lives. And do you know what, with the welcome that people from America have in Great Britain, it, it should be pretty darn warm. And the welcome that I've had when I've reciprocated over in America, we've got some great friends in, in Texas, uh, and my heart goes out to the people of Texas for the, the recent terrible mm-hmm. events out there. You know, there's a lot of love. And, and yes. we've just got to keep that. It might sound like an old hippie talking. Well, I was born in the 70s. I wasn't old enough to be a hippie. No. But the point is... Just, just get on with it. We can have a lot more fun. 
you know? Yep. No, no question about that. I will tell you just very, very quickly, and we can move on. When we did go to Scotland, uh, I'm a rather large guy. When I was younger, I was a lot more muscular than I am now. But the one thing about going to Scotland is, as a big, muscular-looking guy in Scotland, every guy I ran into at a bar wanted to wrestle me. It was just, <laughs> it was something else, Neil. I'll tell you that. Yeah, well, that's a, it's kind of a warm welcome, you know. It is. Hug, it was great. Hug plus in Scotland, just for you. See, <laughs> just for me. We stumbled into a, a a karaoke bar in Scotland, and it was we we had one of our tour groups, right? Right. <clears throat> and we've got these twenty twenty five Americans, and we go in, and this place is packed. And there's this footballer sitting there, right? He's got the striped shirt on. Oh, there you go. He's hulking. He's sloshed out of his mind, right? And just, he's talking to people. And then <laughs> then they go, they call for his name to come up. And I, I have it on video. I have to dig it up. I'll have to show it to you because it's insane. He gets up there and starts singing, um, uh, oh, good God, what is it? Nat King Cole. Oh, yeah. And it sounds like Nat <laughs> King Cole. Oh, really? Oh, the guy was spot on. Big, hulking white guy, and he's up there, you know, just, Mona Lisa, Mona Lisa. And he, but he's like, it was insane. And then he gets done, and his shoulders slump, and his head goes down, and he goes walking by, and he's like, get out of my way, as he goes back to the table. We were in hysterics. I'm like, how is this even possible? I love that stuff. No, we loved it. There's no question. So how long have you two known one another? About a decade? Oh, really? Decade, yeah, yeah about. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Dave found me. On a bookshelf in a in an Irish castle. Oh, and yeah. It, and it was just a book, and he thought, "Hey, that looks cool. That's the Dracula Secrets book," and he he bought it and stashed it away for maybe a year. And he he got you know he had a busy show and thought, "Hey, I'm going to contact that guy. I'm going to try and find him and reach out." And well, it's resulted in two amazing tours of of, of England with Dave and 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 the Ghost Crew, mm-hmm. uh, and it, it, it's. A friendship that has lingered ever since. That's how it's supposed to Because he doesn't spend enough time with me, Tom, is the problem. See, if he was around more, this friendship would have been over three years ago. Yeah, because it wouldn't be lingering anymore. <laughs> That's very, very true. No question about that. I guess, you know, it all works out. Neil, have, have there always been stories pre Bram Stoker and Dracula? There, there, there have always been stories about bloodsuckers of one kind or another, haven't there? Well, I mean, you can find them back into ancient history because the story of the vampire is an ancient one. Mm -hmm. In the 19th century, you you had things like Polidori. That's the early 19th century. John Polidori, great friend of of Lord Byron, a confidant. And it was often thought that the original vampire book, Polidori's Vampire, was a a synergy. Did Byron write it? Did Polidori come up with the idea? They weren't sure. And then that kind of rolled on from there when you, when you had uh, like what they call very cheap part works called Varney the Vampire. And that was another popular read. But it, the vampires were, were, were gentry, but they didn't really have a certain class about them. They didn't have a mystery. They were quite rough characters. Bram Stoker was the man that capitalised... On, on so many things. When you looked at... Wilkie Collins wrote a book called The Woman in White. And it was the first book that ever used diaries and various letters and newspapers and all sorts to tell the story in a sort of patchwork. Bram knew Wilkie Collins. And he loved that w- way of doing things. 
And so for his day, Bram Stoker created the vampire in the story is ancient because he's an immortal. He goes back centuries, does Dracula. But it's set in a modern context. So this is showing Dracula in, in it coming to a modern world that don't believe in ghouls right. and ghosties and long legged beasties. Oh, we're too sophisticated for that. So he can take his advantage of those people that disbelieve in him and feast on the blood of the innocent. So Bram Stoker weaves in things like phonographs and typewriters, modern transport and travel in his stories. So in his day, he was cutting edge. And it's that wonderful synergy of the two that he created. You know, what amazes me is that as a young boy, I guess I was, I don't know, 12, 13, something like that. We're watching Dracula one night on, on Horror Incorporated, as it was yeah. called. Horror Incorporated. <laughs> I actually did the I did the voiceover for that show. Did you really? Yes. Oh, nice. And I, I often wonder, I mean, that was later in life. I was mm-hmm. not when I was 12 or 13. I was going to really be impressed if you were doing that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But we're watching it one time, and there I have a neighbor over, a young, dazzling urbanite was over there watching. We're watching Dracula. And he just keeps going, uh, uh. He just keeps making these grunting noises. And I said, what's the matter with you? And like I said, we're 12, 13, whatever. He goes, man, this is so so ridiculous. I said, why is it so ridiculous? He goes, not one of these people even try to punch Dracula. <laughs> oh, just punch Dracula right in the face. I wonder how that'd go. Because, hey, you could break his teeth. I mean, what's he going to yeah, do? You go. a nasty suck. Exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you can't suck your blood if he doesn't have those pointy teeth. But, no, but the hickeys are going to be brutal. Maybe, oh maybe he's got like a tool in his pocket for just in case. Just <laughs> straw. Artificial yeah. teeth. Yeah, it's like a mosquito. Yes, yeah, so like that. Well, I suppose did, did did he did he dazzle people with his stare? Is that part of it? Does that he just? Oh, like, yeah. he was, he was very he charming. Yeah, he could mesmerize people. I mesmerize. Think. There you go. That's the word I was looking at. Well, not not Bram Stoker's Dracula. No, was more like Nosferatu. He didn't right. really have super. He was not a so good-looking creature. He was no. a, cr- a creepy, yeah. nasty-looking thing. It wasn't until yeah. the movie but serial that they mes- came. There is mesmerism in it, right? Oh, definitely. Um, but it wasn't that charming, good-looking Bella no, Lugosi thing. No, it was. Not. Something There's totally different. Dracula had the power over the beasts of the <clears> night. <throat> but he also, Bram Stoker, on the stage at, at that time he was writing, it was a, a new play called Trilby. And, and <laughs> it's where this innocent young girl in, in France is, is taken over by a, a character that you'll, he- you'll have heard of, Sven Gali-like. Mm. Oh, sure. <clears throat> right, well, this is where Sven Gali comes from. He comes from Trilby. And Bram Stoker was absolutely amazed at this idea of mesmerism. And it was a theme that followed right through all his other books. He wrote to Sir Oliver Lodge, who was one of the founders of the Society of Psychical Research in Great Britain. And he revisited it in other books, notably the sort of mesmeric power that could even kill people from the power of the mind in his last ever book, Bram's last book, The Lair of the White Worm. Oh, yeah. Yep. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. You know, I just... Neil, just talking about this stuff reminds me so much of being a young boy and a teenager and all the different (laughs) things. Did you ever hear Richard Pryor's take on Dracula? It was phenomenal. (laughs) 
He said, you ever notice one thing? Now, Richard Pryor, for maybe younger people, Alex, people just younger than you, do they know who Richard Pryor is? Probably not. Probably, Probably not. not. <laughs> one of the greatest comedians ever born. Black man yeah. in America today from, uh, he was from Peoria, Illinois. I do remember that. But he said, you ever notice one thing about, you go to like a Dracula movie, Dracula never goes into black neighborhoods. And you know why he never goes into black neighborhoods? He goes, you want to what? The guy says to Dracula, you want to what? You want to suck some blood? Why don't you go to the blood bank? And I hope you get sickle cell. <laughs> well, that's not very nice. That's very, Richard was so funny with that stuff. It was amazing. Are we... Do we always create characters we have a little bit of inside our own hearts? Uh, in other words, Dracula had to be kind of charming. He couldn't just be this vicious, animalistic psychopath. He had to have a little bit of human charm to him, didn't he? It's like the spider and the web. Yes. Mm-hmm. Or, or a flypaper. A flypaper is sticky. It's sweet. And the sweetness will attract but once you are stuck, you are, you are, you are truly at the, at the prey of the paper, or once you are entranced in the web. And if you remember some of the early Bela Lugosi posters often depicted him in a spider's web. Yeah. And that yep. is the whole point. You can get trapped into the mesmeric gaze. If you remember some of the shots of, of Bela Lugosi have the white, the emphasis is on the eyes, all there. Well, with Bram Stoker, the original creation, once he got into the Lyceum Theatre... Irving sucked the blood out of that poor man. Mm-hmm. His whole life was dedicated to the theatre. But Bram idolised the bloke. He was one of these guys that no matter how badly he treated the people around him, he was surrounded by a mystique that meant they wanted to kind of endear themselves to him. So the original model, the, you know, Bram wanted to create a play, more than a book, a play that would be worthy of performance of Sir Henry Irving. Mm. And so, really, the first model, the first person, the real creation reason for Dracula was Irving. Yeah, that makes total... Yeah, I mean, see, that... We we always project that... I mean, I I suppose that's the only way you can tell stories. You, You only experience the things that you experience... So when you project outward, I suppose it has to be a lot like you, I would imagine. Well, one of the pretty much universal laws of nature is that what makes predators in real life dangerous is not only their fangs and teeth, but their intellect. And that's why Dracula is always shown, or usually shown, as very intelligent and able to kind of maneuver around people's expectations to get them into the castle or, you know, into the sewers that he lives when he's Nosferatu or whatever. Uh, predators have this ability to manipulate prey right. in a specific way, and that's what makes them really scary to a lot of people. Is you know, yeah. And what's that's what well, Neil's book is crazy about. Of- when, Neil, when you when you share what you uncovered in your book, because everybody believes Dracula was based on Vlad Tepish, right? Right, Vlad the Impaler. There was probably something along the lines, but with what Andy just said about you know somebody very smart, he was predatorial, everything. Who, who was Dracula really based on, Neil? Well, if you read through the entire notes of Dracula, and I have, I have probably read more letters, manuscripts and documents written in Bram Stoker's own hand than any other living person right now. And I can assure you there is no mention in any of those documents of Vlad Tepes. 
Really? And ladies and gentlemen, the bad news is Bram Stoker never went to Transylvania. The Romanian mm. tourist board really dislike me. <laughs> Bram used tra travel guides. The Victorian age is the aid of the Baedeker's Guide, the Bradshaw Train Guide. He's got access to the British Museum, the London Library, the finest libraries in the world. He never needed to go. It was all from his imagination and the books that he right, saw, right. but also from the people that he knew. And what I uncovered, it was a long, long trail, a long story where I must give credit to the original man that discovered the suspect, Dr. Francis Tumblety, an, an Irish-born but raised in America quack doctor that had an absolute hatred of women. Well, he had... a. A, a, a man on man relationship that was very close, if I dare say, they were sort of things, with an, an, an author that in his day was the first man to sell a million copies in the English language. A million copies of any book. His name was Thomas Henry Hall Kane. Hall Kane was influenced, and, and Tumblety had a mesmeric power over other men. Believe you me. It's cutting a long story short. Read my book, read the books of Michael Hawley, um, Stuart Evans. There are other authors too. And Hall Kane was Bram's best friend in later life because they were both great friends of Sir Henry Irving in the theatre. Mm -hmm. When they met, it was going to be either they're going to love each other or hate each other. They had a very close relationship in a very similar way that uh, Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson had a close relationship. They would share rooms, they would go on adventures together. And in Bram's books, he loved to wrap up all sorts of mysteries and put clues in there. If you read the letters of Hall Kane and Tumblety, and you read Dracula in a certain way, the clues are all there that Bram is indicating that, that, that Tumblety is, in fact, uh, Jack the Ripper, and that, in fact... He, he, he is the one of the models for Dracula. Why do you think it is, Neil and Dave and everybody else here at the table? I mean, when I was a kid, starting, I suppose, at eight, nine years old, living in North Minneapolis, I mean, our family, uh, all of our friends, and this was people of all types, all skin colors, all poor people. It was a very poor neighborhood. But I don't care if it was Frankenstein, Dracula, The Mummy. When it came out, boy, we flocked to that movie theater to see these people. Why, why is it that such young people, they like the, the fright part of it. I understand that. It's a, it's a different feeling. But why are young people so drawn to characters like this? Well, it's the young people of our generation. And I'm sorry to say oh, this. Okay. In some way, I think for, for those of us that grew up in the 60s, 70s and early 80s we are that last generation to be scared by tv and movie oh i bet horror now i'm not talking about gore gore fest is not something i want to see i don't Hate want to be watching anything like that i'm yep. talking about the classic universal monsters hammer horror the, the wolf man the mummy dracula yep. frankenstein all the stuff that made us shiver made us frightened. The sort of stuff that I don't know whether you guys in America were, as kids were a little bit more more brave than us, but I remember as I, when I was a kid, I used to hide behind the sofa or look round the door 
I've met around lo lots of people that look through the banisters of their stairs <laughs> because we don't watch these films for too long. <laughs> well, yeah. I just and I think it. it's, this is our generation. We're the last generation to be... You show stills from those movies to kids today, they just think it's people in funny costumes. Yeah. Oh, I can see that's true. Well, I'm 35 years old, and I think the last movie that really, like, made rounds, that made everyone, all the younger people, scared, was Ring. And that was probably yeah, about 20 Ring. years ago. Yeah, yeah, it was The Ring. Yeah, it's called the Ring. It's, origi yeah, it's originally called Ring in oh, Japanese, yeah. but that yeah. doesn't really matter. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was probably about 20 years ago, something like that. And, yeah, everyone watched it. Everyone was terrified by it. You know, everyone was like, oh, you well, because, I mean, basically, the movie says, you just watch this movie, you're going to die. So it's like, it's a little forward <laughs> with its yeah. right. threats. Just a little. Yeah. Um, yep. But, yeah, I don't think I remember, I don't, I mean, everyone, like, the Amityville horror stuff, and the, but people kind of were more fascinated with it than <laughs> actually genuinely scared by it. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, I think that it's been probably about 20 years since the movies have really, like, you know, done that kind of thing. Yeah. It's, I think it's a greater skill to scare rather than horrify. Yeah. Oh, that's a very good point, I think. Well, they were saying when we did the Warner Brothers and uh, Universal tour a couple of years ago, Cassie and I went and did the VIP deal so we could get behind the scenes oh, and hear all these VIP. cool stories. Hey, Neil, well, did you hear that he's a VIP, Neil? Did you hear that? I had to pay to be a VIP. <laughs> that's the important lesson. <laughs> But yeah, they, they take you back. He has for any trip he does. That's know? right. Yeah. But they tell you they tell you more of the in-depth stories. And they said that Ooh. these horror movies exploded during the Depression era times, oh, during sure. war times. Yep. Yeah, it yep. was it was a deflection of the times that you could go watch a, a surreal version of this horror and not be as steeped into what you're dealing yeah. with. So you could deal yeah. with the terror and the fear that you had. It was kind of a release valve. I could see that. Then science sense. has now proven that horror movies, theme parks, things like that are extremely good first dates. Because the chemical that you release during those moments of fear, if you're there with somebody, it bonds you to them. And really? It can also it's called trauma up, bonding. Yeah, it can also kick yeah. up the... Um, yeah. Sexual part Allure. Of yeah, I'm trying to be careful because there's little ears. but yeah, little the, baby here. Allure... A factor, yeah, and it draws people that. together when they share those. That's why in movies, whenever you see them, you know, Jurassic Park, two seconds ago they're being, you know, tracked down by a giant Tyrannosaurus Rex, and now they're making out in a cabinet. Well, it's because it's a release of endorphins. Right, and People right. always laugh. Yeah. At, why are they doing this? But in real life, that's probably that's what, what would, would really be going on. Yeah. And that's why those yeah. movies and thrill rides are so popular, especially on dates, because it does endear you to those people. How do you, both of you, this is a question for everybody at the table, and Neil Story, of course, our special guest, Dracula the Ripper, 125th anniversary of Dracula with Neil Story. But I, I, I just, I'm wondering about this. Why do these movies cross cultures? Because very poor kids in my neighborhood loved them, the, the middle class, I, they always went to them. Even wealthy families would, you know, the Wyzetta area, the, the, you know, places like Minnesota. Every one of those cultures loved these movies, so did we all just need the same same relaxation, the same relief from everything? I'll give you an example. There was a kid watching it. We were at the Empress Theater in North Minneapolis watching The Mummy, and The Mummy was chasing a guy down, and The Mummy always dragged one leg, if you remember, mm -hmm. but he caught the guy and <laughs> killed him. And this guy in full voice goes, Hi, you can't outrun a mummy. Which I thought, see, there was a comedic element to it where I went. That was probably not in a lot of theaters, though, was it? 
because they're just a different culture. Well, there might be, but humor is, is a release valve, right? Yeah, absolutely. In the African-American culture, I think the reason that they do talk to the screen a lot more, and, they, and I've they been do, there yeah. for horror movies, I love, love going to a horror movie I agree. in a theater that's primarily black <laughs> yeah. people because yep. the relief is, you can see it's their way. Eddie Murphy said it perfectly in his in his in one of his first comedy specials. He goes, why is it white people stay in a haunted house? The minute we're in there and we hear, get out, oh, we gotta go. We gotta go. Right? And, and I think that's the, the way that they are very spiritual, they're very understanding of the situation and respectful where you know the idiot white man will just walk in anywhere and poke ghosts right the i mean that's kind of the white man. yeah that's really compared nice. to the, well when you consider you know the the way we've uh, acted and and uh, treated the uh, the spiritual realm and the human realm there's really not much respect for no, it anywhere i agree but then you've also got the factor of uh, everybody can relate to the monster in a way Right? I think that was my next point. Is yeah. it, it's really us we're looking at it. Right. Frankenstein is the monster. What right. did he do wrong? He was just born into this life. Right. So he could be whatever race. Well, he could be whatever religion. Monster specifically. Right. Yeah, that's what I mean. He was created. Uh, he wasn't. It wasn't his idea to be here. Correct. And and so you kind of feel for him, and you feel for his not understanding. And even in the moments where he appeared cruel, like throwing the girl in the lake, it was never meant to kill her. Right. Right. She threw the flower in the lake, and he thought, oh, this is fun, this and he, is fun. he tossed her in, not yep. realizing she would drown without the consequence. Yeah, the original Frankenstein really wasn't a horror movie. It was like a kind of psychological take on humanity. It, you weren't supposed to be scared of the monster. Well, you were supposed to, like, you know, okay, there's this scary monster, and then you realize, oh, he's not really scary. But then what happens to him is scary. Hey, we're because, seeing it in today's environment, right? Yeah. You go up and you say yeah. the wrong joke, or oh, yeah. suddenly you've got guys yeah. with pitchforks and, and torches outside your door screaming no, no, for no. you. You throw one girl in a <laughs> lake, and all of a sudden they're right. all Jeez, people, people are so crabby. One time you throw somebody in a lake, and you got to answer for it. What's that all about? But then Frankenstein's but monster. The crazy thing. In Ireland, not long before Bram was born, that was happening. Oh, during the time of the, the yeah the cholera outbreaks in oh, Ireland, sure. there was absolute fear that people would go from village to village and spread it. So people got out onto the streets. Any carriage coming towards them, they'd be out with pikes, mm. bill hooks, agriculture, flaming flambeau at night. And if the carriage didn't turn around, they'd pull you out and they'd push you <clears> in <throat> ditches with long poles and and stake you to the ground. God. Well, that's not very that, nice, that, though, is it? That was in the time of Bram Stoker's granny, and she would have told him about that. And, in fact, even in the time of his mum, his mum remembered the Sligo cholera epidemics. So as, as poor little Bram laid in his bed, because he couldn't walk until he was seven years old, he had a mysterious disease. Oh. These, these are the sort of s stories that would have been told to Bram. Yeah. The folk toilet. And why do, why do these still work? Well, everywhere you go, no matter how poor your neighbourhood, when the, when the sun starts going down, there are shadows, there are dark corners, there are things to be frightened of. Mm -hmm. And vampires and monsters, you can easily create them. You don't even need, really, a set of false teeth. You can do it with a sneer. You can be the mummy. You can be Frankenstein by straightening your arms out and adopting a blank face and a funny right. voice. And right. you can chase each other around. It becomes a kid's game. But also, it's that kind of make-believe. It's accessible. It could happen to you. I love it. Well, it's could... like I said, everyone understands the concept of something that's stronger and smarter than you. And it's scary yeah. to everyone. It's scary to everything. Every animal understands, you know, yeah. this thing is better bubble than me. Water. I should avoid it. And yeah. everyone understands that bubble water is delicious. Yeah, bubble water. <laughs> Apparently, <laughs> one wants a little bubble water. 
Neil's Neil story. You, by the way, you can check out Neil's story. Neil, our story's author's page on Amazon. Uh, Neil, you got to come back. This has been a great, great thirty-five minutes. I, I love talking because it basically you kind of reveal yourself when you're thinking about this and talking about these kinds of things. What part of it scares you? What part of it doesn't? I mean, you basically are looking at at a version of yourself, aren't you? When you watch these, well, movies. you are, it, yep. and 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 if you were bitten by the vampire, <clears throat> then you too could become one. See, there you go, Neil. Come back soon. I'd love to talk to you again, sir. Thank you, Tom, and thank you to all the family, Dave and all. My love to America. God bless you. But Neil, get better friends than Dave, will you? <laughs> you can't find better friends than Dave. No, there no are none. There Thanks, are no. Neil. You take care, buddy. We'll talk soon. Thanks, Neil. Thank you, friends. All the best. All the best to you. We'll Bye-bye. take a break. Be right Bye. back. Thank you. <clears throat> Dan Chesky's here from Dan's Southside Marine. It won't be long now until we start seeing boats on the water. Warmer temps and open water are coming soon, Tom. We have inventory in stock now from Alumacraft, Premier, Avalon, and Manitou with more arriving daily. What's the secret to finding a boat you're looking for this year, Dan? My recommendation is to shop now, pick a model, put your name on it. Our team of pros at Dance Outside Marine will have the knowledge and experience to get the boat you want equipped the way you want it equipped. What about financing options? Right now, we are offering low-interest financing options up to 144 months with qualified credit. Ask for details when you visit the store. Alumacraft Fishing Boats, Premier, Avalon, and Manitou Pontoons, all powered by Suzuki Outboards, are in stock now with new boats arriving daily. Dan Southside Marine is located just six blocks west of 35W on 98th Street in Bloomington, or shop online at dansouthsidemarine.com. Tom Bernard talking with Brad Huckle and Michael Bilski of North American Banking Company. We've talked a few times over the years about how North American Banking Company has helped local businesses when they're ready for expansion. We love talking about the success of our customers. One example is suburban manufacturing in Monticello. They create innovative products that produce clean, dry air that is needed during the manufacturing process. We recently helped them expand their business. Moving into a new building gave them the space they needed to add new equipment and production lines. We were able to step in quickly and provide the financing they needed when they needed it. When we help businesses like suburban manufacturing with their expansion, it's beneficial for our customers, but their growth also creates new jobs in our community. So they make stuff that produces clean, dry air for manufacturing after working with Bilski. Do they breathe easier with their business belt? We certainly hope so, Tommy, and that's no hot air. Nice one. Why not bank with my banker? North American Banking Company, a better banking experience, member FDIC, and equal housing lender. You all have helped build my pillow into the incredible company it is today and have trusted in Mike Lindell to give you a great night's sleep. Mike's latest incredible deal is on the Giza Dream Sheets, which you've heard me rave about before, that's for sure. These sheets are made from the world's best cotton, Giza. They are ultra soft and breathable, yet extremely durable. Right now, the Giza Dream Sheets at its lowest price ever. These sheets are 60% off, coming in as low as $39.99 with promo code TOM. Our back, ladies and gentlemen. I love that conversation. Neil, Neil Story, what a great guy. Yeah. Really, really decent guy. Very smart man, isn't he? Oh, yeah, very good. I, that's what I said. I found the book when I was in Ireland, and we did an, um, this trip out to uh, um, 
Ireland did this whole deal where in a castle there's this book about Dracula Untold, and I start reading about its connections to Jack the Ripper. Oh, right. Yeah. And I'm like, what? Yeah. So a year later, reach out, bring him on. He's just such, as you heard, an amazing storyteller. Yeah, he is. And he, he is, he's a reenactor. He does all these great deals for the war and the effort and talking about. Oh, really? What, yeah. So he is, if you follow him on social media. Amazing guy. Amazing grasp of the history and what's going on out there. So it's well worth the uh, time and effort to uh, read his books because they're meticulous but not boring. And the fact that he's able to lay out, like he talked about the fact Tumble Tea is who he believes is the Ripper. Jack the Ripper, yeah. And there were pieces missing from each one of the victims. And Tumble Tea used to keep body parts in jars. Gross. So there's all these really weird. This guy's a what, kook. What drives that? Why do they keep body parts? It's just a, a, uh, souvenirs. A, a souvenir. It's it's like to it's remember, right? You know, they believe that uh, like Dahmer would eat body parts yes. as a way to ingest the the victim to make them right. a part of him always and forever. Right. So a lot of these people keep those souvenirs around so that they can look at them at any time. They can revisit them. It's it's weird that that's there. That's what rubs them and, yeah. you know, excites them to this deal. But it's well, whatever, you know. It, whatever. But, right. Well, how do you whatever explain it? It's, boat, guys. It's, it's hard to put into to, to speech on the understanding. I don't think I even want to try to understand why they do these weird things. Right. You know? One of the great things about doing the morning show over the years is things happened. Kevin Meany was in studio. Thank you. <laughs> Kevin Meany was in studio, the very, very funny comedian, unfortunately killed himself a while back. Just a very, very funny man. But um, <laughs> I remember he was in the studio on the show when we got the call that Dahmer had done what he did, right? Mm-hmm. And he said, after the after the interview, Kevin Meany goes, can you imagine that, though? I mean, imagine being the, like, you're the landlord and... Yeah. Hey, you got to get up to the Dahmer apartment. There's something went on up there. You better go check it out. So he opens up the door. He looks around and he goes, "All this carpet's got to go." Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I would imagine so. Alex, let me ask you a question. All right. Alex is going through her lunch or whatever. What are you having for lunch today, Alex? A tuna sandwich. What's in the other bag for mom? Nothing. What do you mean nothing? I thought mom got something with Here, that other she bag. She picked that out specially. Mom's all, I can't taste anything. I, I don't want to eat anything. You can't, can't taste anything. Alex, why do you think it is that you and I really like horror films and mom and Andy don't? <clears throat> I think that part of it is that we, a huge part of it is that we can disconnect from like the idea that it's real and happening to us. Like Fawn has that. Like she can watch something that would upset other children. Yeah. They'd be like, it's too scary, it's too whatever. And she's just like, what, it's just a it's show. It's got nothing to do with me. Yeah, yeah, like, not my problem. Like, I don't know. So, and I think that you and I have that, where it's like, mom gets very, she's very jumpy. She's very, she gets... It's not jumpy. She just punches me in the arm no. every time she's scared. She gets very emotionally involved <laughs> she does, in yes. Yes, she does. those types of movies. Whereas you and I are just... Enjoying the entertainment value of it? Yeah. How yeah. about you, Andy? Why, why do you think it is that you don't like horror films? I don't know. I've just never really cared one way or another. It's not like, you know, I hate them. I despise no, them. That's I true. just don't really care that much, I guess. It's like, you know, I don't like a sports film or something like yeah, that. Yeah, I understand. Or it's like that. westerns. I just don't really care about <clears throat> westerns. Magnificent Seven, why. you'd like. I would, huh? 
Well, I like the theme song. You'd love the Magnificent Seven. That's a great movie. <clears throat> what? Yeah, isn't it like a thousand hours long? No, no it's not it's that maybe long. Maybe two, two hours, fifteen minutes or yeah, so. something like that. Well, for, long back, for, for back time. then, yeah. that's all. That's long. Yeah, yeah. that is yeah. long. Let's see, Magnificent Seven, nineteen sixty. Nineteen sixty, that came out. Oh my God, I'm I'm getting on in years. I don't know if you know that or not. You are. I haven't heard. I haven't heard a word. What do you got? How long is it? Uh, one hundred twenty-eight. So, so two hours and eight minutes. For the time, that's fairly long. Yeah, two hours yeah. and eight minutes is very long for a movie back then. Yeah. Because now they go three and a half hours and nobody cares. Except for me, because I don't go watch them. But, you know, it all works out in the end. I do love talking about why we project parts of ourselves out for the world to see, like Dracula and Frankenstein, the mummy and all that stuff, uh, serial killers, all the things that humans actually do, we project them onto screens or in plays or whatever. Do we do that to try to deal with them kind of a, uh, on a face-to-face basis, even though it really isn't? Does it allow us to deal with them a little bit? I think it, 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 it. we're all hoping for an insight as to, oh, that's why. That's why, right. Because we don't want to believe anybody's just that yeah, exactly. evil. Right. That there has to be something that we can, oh, well, he was beaten as a child. That makes oh, complete yeah. and utter sense. It doesn't. I was beaten as a child. It doesn't make me go out and eat people. I'm right you know, there I'm with not you. burying people. I might want to. But uh, no, but it's not. You know, it's, it's that rationale to face isn't it. that rationale isn't like, oh, everybody's beaten as a child is going to end up yeah, whatever. It, it increases right. your odds. It increases it your does. odds of, yeah, and there's lots of things that you know increase your odds yeah. of, lots of different mental things. Mm-hmm. But it's like it's very very rare that you hear about a serial killer, or something like that that just had like totally normal childhood. No, that well, Dahmer, like, it happens, but it's very infrequent. Dahmer had a, basically a pretty good childhood from my understanding. He, and Ted his father Bundy, loved him, right. was supportive. No, I Ted think. Bundy was like abused yeah, Ted psychologically was kind of by his grandfather. And his, stuff. Oh, I, I never think, heard yeah. that part. By his grandfather? I think so. Why don't you well, tell see, his grandfather to shut the hell up and get lost? If you don't believe in reincarnation, know. Ted Bundy to me is one that would certainly make you consider it because yeah. when he was three years old, his aunt was spending the night over. I remember this. And he had, she woke up to him standing there with a knife that he, um, he was running underneath the sheet yeah, back and forth. He was, yeah. And he's just staring at her. Where does that come from? Yeah, where does yeah, that if you're, come from? I mean, that's not something that a three-year-old would think. That, to me, feels like there's some old soul or something really twisted in that guy. <laughs> that could be. That, uh, that uh, could happen. But they even talk about Bundy in court. Um, when they found one of the bodies, his face started to contort, and he, he emitted this foul odor. Not oh. like um, not like gas, but just like this sulfur-like smell. Eek. His eyes would turn black. And these are attorneys talking about it. Eek. That when there were points when he yeah. would chat, he would kind of glaze out, and his eyes would turn black oh, yeah. as he told the story about what he did to these people. Yeah, like kind of strange. Their puffy cheeks. Puffy cheek funny. So they look just like the, you know, the gnomes and uh, all the other cute characters. Mm-hmm. It is pretty <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It is pretty amazing though. And it, it it does have a lot to do with culture. It does have a lot to do with how much money your from your family has, whether they're very poor, kind of poor, middling, kind of rich or very rich. People look at things totally different. Income and way of life has a lot to do with what we believe in, what we just will not believe at all. A lot of things like that. Right. You know. Well, and then there's these... I don't make excuses for why celebrities and rich people do horrible things. But you realize that there's this insular way that they're they're treated. 
And they will ask for the most fantastic. And because somebody does not want to disappoint them because they're enamored, they find a way to make the fantastic happen. Yeah. I worked for somebody like this and for quite a while. And it was remarkable because that person's belief was that these things happened just because they were who they are. And they're that they had no concept of the fact of the begging, badgering, and work that was done behind the scenes to make this happen right. for them. They right. just thought, I am who I am, therefore this happens. And yep. they're so out of touch, but everybody around them well, insulates them. Yeah, yeah, well, we were just talking about that with like somebody like Bill Gates. When, when Bill Gates was first like, you know, a mm-hmm. billionaire, he was, you know, opening up charter schools and giving money right. away to do right. this and to do that. And now it's like he wants to rule the world. He does, yeah. You know, and it's like just because you have a billion, two billion, a hundred billion dollars, whatever he's got, I don't know, don't care. It doesn't mean that you know everything about everything and that you should be involved in absolutely everything. But people let him because they figure, oh, he's smart enough to make a hundred billion dollars. Mm-hmm. He's got to know everything about stuff. That's what people, everybody thinks. Yeah, we assign people the uh, attributes that we wish that they would have. Right. Right. Well, it's like when Jesse Ventura ran for governor, people voted for Jesse and came out in throngs. Wasn't that the highest recorded vote in the state of Minnesota up to that point? Wow. Because people wanted to change. Mm -hmm. And then act all incensed when he's doing his governorship work and being a commentator for the XFL. Right. Well, you can't. You're the governor. You hired... A professional wrestler exactly. who's a PR guy. Right. What it, this is? I know. You've it's got so to allow. The, you know. Same with our past president. You you brought in a guy yep. who famously, and I'm not bashing. I'm not. I'm just saying famously did not handle money properly, and showed uh, disrespect for many people through the years. And he was a reality show star and a, a millionaire. And we hired him because we hoped for change. And then everybody is incensed that he is. Well, when you bring somebody in who doesn't have the knowledge or background, just because they're good at business or good at one thing does not mean that they are this. Now, that doesn't say that Bill Gates might not make a great president because he understands the business of the job and could could do something along those lines. And I'm not you know, God, indicating no. for him, but I'm just saying there are other skills you can have that can lend to politics maybe a little better because I think poli- politicians get so uh, encased in their own ways mm-hmm. that they don't see, well, maybe we could fix this budget by changing this. Nope, got to be the way it always been, but I'll change it this way. And that's just going back to what the people before him did. So I understand the, the want and desire of people wanting something different than what we've had. Mm-hmm. But and we never do that. Well, we bring them in, and then all we do is bitch and whine and complain when that happens. Well, plus the fact, this all started with Thomas Jefferson. He started screwing people out of money the second he got famous. I mean, that guy jobbed people out of money as a whole. He started the national bank system, did he not? I, I don't know. And I think most of the money that disappeared. That American history stuff is so <laughs> confusing. I think most of the money in the banks disappeared, and they never knew where it went. So it's been going on forever. It's both. It's all parties because there used to be other parties. These, these people are scumbags. Anybody who wants to be the president is nuts. I'm sorry, but they are. No, I think that there's a lot of them that go in with yeah. the desire to change things. And once they get in, they realize, oh, got no shot. shit, I have absolutely no power. Got no I am a puppet, and I'm here to do what I'm told to do. And that's yep, what, if you listen true. to some of the out interviews of people like Jimmy Carter um, and Bill Clinton and even Obama, you can see the disillusionment with the job. When they went in, they had a sense of what they wanted to do to make things better. And now they're kind of, yeah, it'll take a lot out of you. 
Yeah. You can see they're just reserved to the fact that this uh, you are a, a figure. You're, you're the queen of England. Mm-hmm. You're a figurehead that has no real power. Yeah, if you want to say something, you got to just say Sneak it. Sneak in. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Jump in. Sidebar, Dahmer did not have a normal childhood. Uh, no? You no. looked it up? No. Not so good? No. Well, there you go. I'd say, but yeah. once she's listening to something else, I can talk. Yeah, there you go. Uh, yeah, we have to take a break anyway. We'll be uh, we'll take a quick break and be right back. <clears throat> Alicia McBride in the second hour. That should be rather interesting. How to keep a, a positive mind, body, and soul Ooh. in a negative world. Oh. See, all we do is positivity on this show. That's, it. That's all we ever do. That's what this is. We'll be back. <laughs> 